Okay, turn over to the Gospel of John this morning. We'll get into the Word together, John chapter 12. And I want to begin at verse 20. John chapter 12, verse 20. Everybody hear me all right? Everybody good in the back? A little bit? Yeah, the fans are a little, uh, little bit distracting this morning. Test one, two. Is that better? Better? Good. I'll project. I do that even when I'm not trying. My wife says, I can hear you. Okay. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So here we are in our... Uh, place in John. This is this is the feast. This is Passover that has come, uh, the biggest holiday in in all of Judaism. People from all over the world coming to Jerusalem to uh, to worship as part of this feast. And so Jesus is there. He um, he reveals himself there. He's teaching uh, there in in amongst all the crowds and and this and that. And the Gentiles, though, because of this last three years and some, they're, they're starting to hear that something's going on here in uh, Jerusalem, in, in Israel. Uh, they're, they're hearing about this guy, and he's doing miracles, and he's raising the dead, you know, all this kind of thing. And so they're, they're starting to get these reports about Jesus and, and they specifically, they want to see Jesus. They want to see what, what all this is all about, right? Uh, when Paul was in Athens, if you remember this from the, uh, from the book of Acts, uh, in Greece, Acts 17, 19, it says, And they took him, Paul, and brought him to the Areopagus. Uh, the Areopagus is two things. First of all, it's a very large rock, very large hill, um, that, that is made out of solid rock. And it's got kind of a, a concave front, so it acts as a, a natural amphitheater, okay? So that's where they would hold um, their, their t- town meetings, okay? The Areopagus was also uh, a term used of the council uh, there in, in Athens that would, that would meet there. So uh, those two things. And so they bring Paul there because Paul is, is teaching in the marketplaces and he's telling about Jesus. And it's like, OK, we want to hear more about this. So they bring him to this place so that he can address this council. Um, where am I here? So and they bring him here and they're saying this. May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And then the commentary here from Luke in the book of Acts. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there 
would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Okay, so the Greeks had heard this new thing, this Jesus person, this this Jewish Messiah has has come on the scene. They want to know what's going out, uh, what's going on here. So they go to check it out. Great, right? I mean, the word is getting out. The gospel is beginning to spread, right? It's beginning to move even out of Israel. Um, and Jesus said, okay, they, they tell him that the Greeks are, are here, want to see you. And Jesus says, awesome, bring them here. No, it's not what he says. Look, look at his response here in John 12, 23. He, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Kind of a weird response, right? Hey, there's some Greek guys outside waiting to see you. My hour has come. As if he's saying, okay, that's my cue, guys. That's my cue. It's time for me to leave. Right? Time for my exit. You may recall in Matthew when a certain Canaanite woman came to Jesus begging him to heal their daughter who was under demonic possession. And uh, Jesus answers her in Matthew 15, 24. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This is a very interesting principle in Scripture, one that was became very meaningful to me in Bible school. Um, I, I was I was the older guy in Bible school, surrounded by a, a bunch of young people, you know, studying for ministry and uh and I, I had this attitude. I just, I was so hungry. You know, tell me, tell me what I need to know. Teach me, you know, all this kind of stuff. But then I was so overwhelmed with all of it, I, as any college student would be, right? There's just so much coming at me. I just can't retain it all. I was like, God, how can I do all this? And he actually brought me back to the scripture and go, chill out, chill out. It's all going to turn out okay at the end, right? Um. Could Jesus have extended his earthly ministry by both geography and years? Could he have traveled the world? Could he have taken that three, three plus years and turned it into seven, eight, nine, ten? Certainly, right? He could have taken his message everywhere around the world. But it was not the will of God for him to do so. Now, I may regret saying this. I hope not. But I thank God this morning for people who understand that the church is a ministry organization. Okay? The church is not simply a place to come and receive, although we do, but it's a place to be involved. The church is an organization to be involved in the ministry of the gospel, using the gifts and talents that God has given to every single one of us one way or another, to serve Jesus together, to participate together in the gospel, right? Jesus brought the church together. He designed us to be ministers of the gospel together. We work together as a huge team of people. So whether it's greeting people at the door with a smile, right, um, being on a board or committee, participating in outreaches, serving at dinners, cooking food, cleaning up after dinners, you know, which is a very important job that not too many people want. Whatever it is, it's all part 
ultimately of lovingly connecting people with Jesus Christ. We smile at the door. We have a, a, a sale. We have, you know, all these things. It's all put together for one purpose. We want to connect people with Jesus Christ. We want them to experience what we've experienced in a relationship with him. We want people to have eternal life. And all that we do centers around that, right? And we are all then participants in it together. The unfortunate thing that can happen in the church, just like other organizations, though, is called the 80-20 rule. Anybody ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Very uh, you learn this in business school, right? Um, generally, in most organizations, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Across the board. Churches don't have to be strangers. Churches aren't strangers to that. I will say that. But I thank God it's not like that here. As I look around this room and 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 think about the boards, the committees, the outreaches, the different things. I, I would be hard-pressed to find anybody who's not involved one way or another. And that just blesses my heart. That really does as a pastor. You have no idea. Um, so many are involved. Yet there are some, because they see a need, that are involved in this over here, and 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 you know who you are. And I love you. And I thank you for all that you do. But I don't want to see anyone burn out. Um, or not to find joy and fulfillment in their calling in God because they're stretched, they're stretched too thin. Right. Involved in so many things, I can't give my best to any one of them because it, there's just so much, so much. This on this night, this on this night, this on this, this night, and this and then run here, run here, right? Don't want to see that happen. So I challenge you this morning, and I may regret this. As I said, I challenge you this morning. Have a chat with the Lord this week and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Of all the things that I'm doing or all the things that I'm not doing, what would you what have you gifted me with? What what is on your heart for me to to do and and to give it my all and see if the Lord, you know, might shift some things a little bit. And, you know, not all not all the ministry is visible. Okay, When, when you think of. Things like cleaning up. When you think of things, uh, you know, that people do behind the scenes, even intercessory. How important is intercessory prayer in a church? Huge, huge. Um, so not everything is visible, but just have that chat with the Lord. Because, again, um, if, if, if anybody's not involved, I want to see you involved because we're it, you have gifts that we need. <laughs> Trust me. Um, and if anyone's too stretched out, might be, might be a, I, I don't want anybody to burn out. So talk to the Lord about that. So, because um, even Jesus didn't do it all that he could have. Could he, could he have been going 24-7? Literally, every day? Absolutely. So here's what, um, 
Here's what Jesus says in verse 24 as he goes on here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A single kernel of wheat, um, if, if, if it could stay on a stalk indefinitely, right, um, or, or was picked Somebody just picked that one little kernel and put it in the freezer, you know, could, could stay in there for 100 years, right? Um, and, and if it could do either of those things, what would it do? It would just be a kernel of wheat forever, right? It would be a single kernel. But now take that single kernel and let it come to the end of its life cycle on that stalk and fall to the ground and die, quote unquote, right? Because what's in there, a seed, right? But it falls to the ground and it dies. And what happens? It gets into the soil and it begins to grow, right? And it sprouts out. And from that one little kernel comes a whole plant with a lot of kernels. And then they fall and into the ground and they die. And guess what? Those kernels make more kernels and more kernels and more kernels, okay? That's how the whole thing is perpetuated. That's what Jesus is talking about. Likewise, here is Jesus. And again, um, the Son of God limits himself to a human body. So he can only be in one place at one time. But if he now becomes that kernel of wheat, if he now falls to the ground and dies, right, then what happens? Right? He dies for our sin. He offers his blood up in heaven. He purifies those who will believe in him. He puts his spirit into us, and we then multiply who he is in the world. And then we go out into the world, and we do this and that and the other thing, and we become part of a church, and we're all involved in the gospel. You know what I'm saying, right? It's that kind of thing. Now, instead of one minister of the gospel There are many, many. And as the many give of their lives, right? Dying to a life that's all about me, all about self. What can I get for me? What can I, I, all my stuff and and my future and my goals. And and we we put that on the shelf and say, Lord, what do you want from my life? And we we begin to live our lives in a way um, to spread the gospel, right? We're we're living our lives as an example. We're loving people. We're sharing the gospel with people. As we do that, as we say no to some of the things that we want to do and uh, do the things that God wants to do, we die, you know, to ourselves. And as we do that, right, we're participating in the gospel. We're bearing fruit then as others come into the kingdom who then serve the Lord and others from them come into the kingdom, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's what Jesus is talking about. So he says here in verse 25, he goes on with this uh, concept. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Those who focus on this life, those whose whose overwhelming focus is on personal gain, right? Material, fame, fortune, whatever. Um, in the end, what, what's what's the saying? You can't take it with you, right? So those who are focused on the temporal, in the end, end up with 
nothing. End up with nothing. Um, but whoever hates his life in this world, now we've kind of talked about this before, Jesus' use of hyperbole, right? Exaggeration to make a point. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Is, is that what he's really saying? No, but he's saying you need to take this very, very seriously. If there's something in your life that causes you to sin, uh, you know, over, you need to get rid of it. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, so this, in the same way here, he's not saying that you and I wake up every morning uh, just miserable, hating our very existence on earth. No, it's that we understand now what life is all about. We understand that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. We understand that people are in darkness and need to hear the truth. We understand that there is an eternity and that people are going to be lost and godless unless we become part of this process to influence them the best we can, love them into the kingdom the best we can. So we live our lives in a different way in order to help facilitate that, right? Um, we understand that this life is temporal. And so we are focused and motivated to live our lives with eternity in view, both for ourselves and for others. So it's, 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 we're so focused in that direction that we hate the old life, right? We hate um, the rat race, if you will. As, as somebody once said, I don't, I don't know who came up with it, um, about the rat race, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat, right? <laughs> so we hate that. We, we, we hate the self-centered lifestyle. We hate uh, that kind of thing because we know it's fruitless. We know that it's going to end in nothing. And we see this other life that, that not only brings life to us, but brings life to to other people and eternity, and that's that's the direction that we go. So compare the two. We hate, we hate the other. Um, so, again, going on to verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Or her. Do we serve Jesus as Christians? Right? We're we call him Lord, don't we? What 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 is what 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 is that? You ever think of that word Lord? We 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 throw that all around a lot in the church, don't we? Lord Jesus. Jesus is Lord, right? Well, what does that really mean? Uh, dictionary.com defines Lord, as a person who has authority, control, or power over others, a master, a chief, a ruler. I think most of us probably get that concept a little bit more with the word boss. Um, Because we we don't live in a society with masters and servants uh, so much here in America. Um, So... But bosses, we understand. The boss says, hey, um, I'd like you to do this. So what do we do? We do it, right? Or have this on my desk by 4 o'clock. What do we do? We do it, right? We might whine or complain or whatever. But generally speaking, 
we do what we're told to do. Why? Because they are the boss. And the boss holds our paycheck in his power, doesn't he? Or her power. They hold our job. They hold our livelihood in their hands. So whether we like it or not, we do what they say. And yet, I, I got to tell you this morning, I'm as guilty as anyone else. How often do we take what the Lord says in his word as more of a suggestion? Right? The boss says, do this. By golly, it's on his desk at four o'clock. Jesus says in his word, do this. And we go, yeah, sounds good, but I'd rather do this over here. And yet we call him Lord. Hmm. Right? How is it that we can hold our emotions at work? Right? The boss says something or whatever, gets outside, and we, we bite our tongue and we hold it. And we do what we're told, and then we let our emotions out later. Right? Well, that's so-and-so. But when we're in a situation and the Holy Spirit says, okay, I want you to turn the other cheek. And instead of following your emotions, I want you to do this over here. And we say no, and we turn around and let him have it. Right? Um, why do we do that? How do we do that? When we call him Lord. But here's the thing. And like I said, I'm as guilty as anyone else. Um, earthly bosses give us tasks that benefit them or that benefit the company, right? They benefit the things of the earth. Our heavenly boss gives us instructions, gives us tasks that benefit the kingdom, sure, right? He's not willing that any should perish. He wants to build the kingdom, absolutely. He wants as many people to be saved as possible, not willing that any should perish. We are serving the company, if you will, right? And he gives us tasks and instructions to build the company. But what is the company? The company is eternal life, right? But every one of his instructions also benefits us, doesn't it? Our families, our lives, our, our relationships, our marriages, our jobs, and it results in treasures in heaven that cannot be lost or stolen. Isn't that what Jesus said? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So when we do these things that our heavenly boss says, we are, we're just benefiting all the way around. We're benefiting the kingdom, we're benefiting ourselves, and on and on and on it goes. Serving Jesus, our Lord, is infinitely more important and beneficial than any earthly boss. So just kind of let that stir around a little bit. But let me, let me show you how this works. I, I, I love the way Jesus terms this here. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. So let's say that somebody offends us in some way, 
okay? Says something, just gets under our skin and offends us. Right then and there, you and I stand at a fork in the road, okay? We have a natural tendency to go down this fork, and this fork says, let them have it. This fork says, uh, tell them off. This fork says, let's tell everybody else what they did. Let's, let's complain about what, what they said to us today. This fork says, let's, let's get even somehow. Let's avenge ourselves somehow. And Jesus is walking down this fork. And this fork, Jesus is saying, we need to pray for that person. We need to intercede for them. We need to pray blessing on them. Right? He's, he's looking for a way to be kind to that other person in spite of what they said, in spite of what they did. He's, he's, he's over there trying to figure out a way to show this person the love of God. Okay? One fork and the other fork. Jesus said, whoever serves me will follow me. And where I am, they will be also. So the... the you get the idea. This is relational, right? This isn't this isn't a bunch of rules. For us to serve the Lord is not is not this rule thing. It's it's to be with Him. Jesus is in this direction. Jesus is going here. So as we serve Him, we follow Him down that path. We follow Him down the path of quietness. We follow Him down the path of meekness. We follow Him down the path of humility. We follow Him down the path of loving our enemies. And where he is, we will be also. And that's where the blessings come. It's not just, I'm in heaven, you do what I... No, he's, he's leading, right? He puts his spirit in us, his, the Holy Spirit, to lead us, to guide us. It's a relational thing. So when we stand at that fork in the road, it's time to say, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? I want to follow you. I want to follow your lead. I want to do what you do so that where you are, I can be also because that's where the blessing is. Amen? And in John 15, Jesus said this, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you even though he could rightly play the Lord card, I am God, do as I say, right? He could do that. He's almighty, all-powerful, boom, 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 But he says, you understand what it's all about. You know that there's eternal life at stake here. You know that following this way brings you blessing. You know that following this way um, ensures my presence, my power working in your life, right? And, and that you're laying up treasures in heaven and that you're building the kingdom and people are going are gonna to get saved. They're not going to be hindered by you going down that road and avenging yourself and everything you said good about Jesus is now just torn down because you let them have it. You're, so you're going down this road, right? You understand how this works. So I don't call you servants. I call you friends. We're working together, right? Um, have you ever worked on a project with a friend? I, I, I know Paul was just saying the other day, working on the steps with Johnny, just how, how wonderful, you know, the, the, the two of them got together. 
I mean, hard work, long hours, but it doesn't seem like work because you enjoy being together with that person, right? It's different. It's different. I, I worked a couple of, of, a number of years ago with my friend Mike that you hear me talking about. Best secular job I ever had. It wasn't so much the things I did in that job. They were all right. It, it didn't set the world on fire. It wasn't the most exciting stuff in the world to do. But because I spent all day with Mike and we just had a good time doing what we were doing, I so looked forward to get, other than the ministry, that was the best job I ever had. I just, I looked forward to getting up every morning and going to work. We're going to have another great day, another exciting day, and uh, just enjoyed the time. So when you're working with a friend, it's different than just working for the boss. Right? Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You're working together with me. We're having fun blessing people. We're having fun seeing people uh, light up and, and, and you know, they, they, and they go like this because they don't understand how they just let you have it a minute ago and you're doing something nice for them and they're scratching their head and you're going, <laughs> this is fun. Um, a lot more fun than sitting in a corner going, right? Together with our friend Jesus. Okay. The Great Commission. Right, The mission statement of the church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he says this, I'll close with this statement. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not I am Lord, do as I say, which he could do. He says no. I am with you, a friend, working together. Follow me. Follow my lead. Work with me. Let me reproduce my life in you as that kernel of wheat. And let's enjoy working together and enjoy someday the fruit of our labors. And it's going to knock your socks off. As they said, working for the kingdom has a retirement plan that's out of this world. Right? So, the, how do I even term that? I didn't even come up with a, with a title slide for today, as you can see. I don't even know what to title this, but just um, working with Jesus, our friend. Um, dying that we might live. Uh, following the right fork in the road. Uh, where is Jesus? You know, like where's Waldo? Where is Jesus? I, I'm here on this path. Where is he? I, I want to get to him. I want to be where he is, uh, doing what he's doing, and uh, reap all the eternal benefits of that. Remember that song years ago, Thank You for Giving to the Lord, right? People whose lives that we've touched, that we, that we don't even know about, and yet we stand in the presence of the Lord on that day, and someone says, hey, I'm here because of you. I'm here because I saw the way you lived your life. I'm here because of what you shared with me. I'm here because I treated you like a rotten so-and-so, and you loved me instead. I'm here because of your influence. 
Can you imagine what that feels like on that day? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the original kernel of wheat who loved the unlovely, the, the, the all-powerful one who walked in humility and meekness, the, uh, the one who gave us such an example when he laid down his life for us. Lord, now that we understand, now that we know what the family business is all about, now that we get it, help us, Lord. Help us to find you in the fork of the road, to follow you, that where you are, we might be also. For your glory and for the most amazing retirement plan ever. We bless you for even giving us the opportunity. Our Lord and our friend, be glorified in us, we pray. Amen. Amen.